Hey everyone, this is Mike Crawley from You'll Probably Agree. I embarrassingly forgot to record an intro for this episode, so I wanted to quickly hop on board and thank Robert Daniels from 812filmreviews.com for his contribution in speaking with me about the Chicago Critics Film Festival, where we uh, discussed the movies that we saw. As to what that festival is, you'll find that out in the podcast that's going to start now. For folks who don't get to go to Sundance or uh, South by Southwest or all the nice film festivals, you know, uh, the Chicago film critics will play a lot of their favorite movies at a film festival, the Music Box Theater in Chicago that uh, I got to check out, many of which you already saw because... You know, you get the parks, I don't. Um, (laughs) um, And uh, we're just going to kind of go over some of the films that we saw at the Chicago Critics Film Festival. And a lot of these movies are definitely worth checking out. Uh, And I, I, you know what? This was actually probably my favorite lineup that I've seen this Hmm. year. You know, with like a couple exceptions that I didn't think were that great. It's still, uh, there was no film that I really thought was bad at all. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, I guess we could start with the first movie, which was St. Francis, um, which I, that won the Audience Award at CCFF, I guess. Yeah, and it and won the Audience Award at South by as well. It did, yes. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, I mean, you know what? I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, uh, yeah, there's some areas where it's a little, little too cute, especially with Francis, where yeah. they base the whole title of the film on this one scene where... Um, the the main character, um, who's played by Kelly O'Sullivan, I, I don't remember her character's name, but she's talking to Francis at this confessional booth in a church, and we they kind of go over everything that we've already seen in the film, but like in this condensed scene that just didn't, I don't think it, it worked particularly well. But you know what, this is a film that is perfect, if you want to talk about a movie, it has perfect timing of coming out. This is a film about a young girl who, she's in her 30s, and she ends up having an affair with this guy, and she gets an abortion, and then she ends up becoming a nanny for this uh, lesbian couple who have this uh, little kid, and, you know, and they're a mixed couple, and the, uh, the, and she develops this relationship with this kid, and it's it's a film about abortion that isn't like it doesn't take sides. It's not angry, you know. It's just it, it comes from a loving perspective that's filled with empathy. That um, you know is sort of like this calm voice of reason that we especially kind of need in our country today. It was a lot like in the vein of a Hal Ashby film that um, focuses on sort of the recluses. Um, that are like the majority of this country because um, um, O'Sullivan's character, she's this 30-some-year-old woman that's a waitress. You know, she isn't doing much with her life. And most of the people in my generation are people who are kind of working these dead-end jobs in order to, you know, just get by. But they're not really focused on in movies. And Ashby like to kind of focus on characters like that if you've seen coming home or um or the last detail or mm-hmm. something like that um but you know i i thought that you know despite how a little too cute some of it was this was a movie that is genuinely moving and it's something that i think no matter what side of the political aisle you're on you can connect to these characters mm-hmm. and i don't know what did you think of saint francis um, you know what? I like St. Francis. Yeah. Um, I it definitely is a crowd pleaser. Um, yeah, I think it's its points are it's incredibly funny. It is well timed. I do think that it's um, a tad long. Yes, they needed to trim, especially the St. Francis scene in St. Francis. Yeah, I well, I, <laughs> well yeah. Then there's the, the, the guitar teacher bit. But I, oh God, been, yes, yes, that yes, yes. Been I forgot cut. about that. That's yeah. like fifteen. Like, it's probably like ten minutes. I'm exaggerating fifteen, but like around, around ten minutes. They cut it. Honestly, if they would have cut that. I probably would have been completely fine with the film. Like I yeah. think they would have gotten it. 
below. Oh my god, this popcorn smells great. <laughs> yeah, there's a popcorn machine in the background, in case you're wondering what that buzzing is. I didn't think it would actually make noise, but uh, nah, that's alright. It makes um, me hungry for the popcorn. It smells great. Um, but no, the, uh, the, if, if that, if that guitar teacher section had been cut, it would have, it would yeah. have been, I think it would have been the perfect length, actually. So there is this uh, scene, in the, or, or this plot, subplot in the movie, where the main character, he um, ends up kind of having the hots for this guitar teacher at this little preschool that she takes Francis to. And uh, in this preschool, the, 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 there's this guitar teacher who's, you know, playing songs for the kids. And she ends up going out with him, although she already has a boyfriend. And they really could have just caught that whole... Well, it was right after she broke up with her boyfriend, I think. Um, kinda, and they're sort of like the same yeah. period. Um, but I mean, I mean, they only like, kept well, him France... in the movie cause he was like in the shield and he's popular. And I think like they kind of need him to sell the movie. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I don't think O'Sullivan's character would, um, would qualify the guy as her boyfriend. Um, right. I think he's it's just friends with benefits kind of thing. They're just a <laughs> fuck buddy. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so but I I do agree that like she very much mirrors this our, my, my generation of like everyone's just kind of working their odd job to get by and that's just kind of it, you know. Mm, and yeah. it's it's a lot of either you you're working your odd job because like you're trying to get this project finished, you're working your odd job because you can't get this project finished. Yeah. So, um no, I very much like I, I like St. Francis. The more I thought about it, the more I liked it. Mm. That's what tends to happen at these festivals. <laughs> yeah. Like, you see four films in a day, like, and... It, it you... goes through your mind, especially, yeah, when you sit through four films, your patience kind of wanes, and you're just kind of waiting for the movie to end in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not really appreciating it or paying attention to it. Well, I mean, certain films aren't festival films. Yeah. Not. Like, uh, first Man, I saw at TIFF, hated First Man at TIFF. Absolutely really? hated First Man. I love First Man. And yeah. it was because it was a, a quiet film. It was a very subtle film. It was very long. Very long. I was very tired. It was the middle of TIFF. It was TIFF's 10 days. Yeah. Right? So Toronto, about, Toronto International Film Festival uh, yeah. for, for you guys uh, listening at home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, when I came back here... For a press screening, and that was the only film I saw. For I absolutely loved it. It became one of my favorite films of the year. Mm. So, like cer- certain films, you kind of need to be away from the, the festival yeah. to to really appreciate it. And that, a, a little bit of that was St. Francis. You need, I needed to kind of sit down and gather my thoughts about it, mm. and really, really think about, you know, w- what what I had seen. Because my initial thought after I came out of it was, if, if you'd asked me to write a review, then I would probably would have given it a two out of four. And then, like after I thought about it, I was like, oh, I guess I might give it a two point five to three out of four. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I gave it three and a half. Okay. Um, I because not only because of his empathetic, loving angle, but because um, we see a lot of ourselves in these characters. Mm-hmm. You know, we see ourselves in Kelly O'Sullivan's character, and you know, th- 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 this is a movie where it makes you realize it doesn't matter. If you're making a lot of money, that doesn't make you successful. What makes you successful and what made O'Sullivan's character so successful in the end was the people that she touched and the lives that she affected. I mean, it reminded me of when uh, my uh, nephew was born. I remember I thought, you know, this is going to be annoying. I'm going to, you know, have to go visit this kid. You know, like... That's honestly what I thought, and then immediately I, I, I fell in love with the kid. He's it's, it's like reliving your childhood with uh-huh. him in a way, you know. It's like I I did nothing to have the kid. I mean, that'd be fucking weird if I did. Um, <laughs> but he became kind of like this huge part of my life, and it just reminded me of how much I love him and how much he's improved my life. And I was talking to one of the critics at the. Uh, uh, festivals, uh, Matt Fagerholm from RogerEber.com, mm. and he said there is a scene in the movie when uh, one of the mothers is breastfeeding her child in public, and some lady you know, walks up to her, and she says, oh, why are you breastfeeding her? And then, of course, O'Sullivan walks up to her and says, well, she can do that if she wants to. And the little girl walks up to the lady and tries to shake her hand, although, you know, she's kind of 
shutting this lady away for breastfeeding in public. And she says, hi, my name's Francis. What's your name? And uh, Matt told me, like, that reminds me of that scene in To Kill a Mockingbird when uh, the little girl walks up yeah. to, uh, you know, to, to the man who's on trial for rape. And, you know, she she uh, extends her hand to say hello to him, mm-hmm. you know, and... It, it was the main little girl in the film, right? Yeah. Who did that? That's yeah. interesting. I, I, I didn't think that about that initially, but I'm like, like oh that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. That, that is a scene that yeah, that, sort of that's is. So on the, it, yeah, so yeah. on the nose. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised now if they didn't. Like, they didn't partly base that scene, at least subconsciously, off of, yeah. off of that film. Yeah. Hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's really just a movie about loving and understanding each other rather than... S- saying, oh, you're for abortion, I hate you. You're against abortion, I hate you. And especially now with the abortion laws being enacted uh-huh. in the United States, which is a huge can of worms that I don't think I want to get into. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we could say it's a movie where it takes a political issue, mm-hmm. but it takes it from a very human perspective. Yeah. And so for that, I really appreciated it. But then the second film I saw that, or we saw that day, was Greener Grass. And I don't know. This was, like, weird for the sake of being weird. The director said they don't make stuff for the sake, for, for being the sake of being weird. But honestly, they couldn't really articulate what they were aiming for. Uh-huh. So it does, like, when a director can't really explain him or herself, it does make me question their intentions. And actually, as someone who always skips a shorts program, I did see the shorts program one year, and I did actually see the short version of Greener Grass. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when I saw it, uh, I did remember that. I remember I was watching the song. I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen this before. And then I, oh, I saw it two years ago at CCFF. And the thing that. I mean, this thing works as like a weird, crazy short film, mm-hmm. but as a feature film. It goes. It stays way beyond the the length it should stay at. It's uh, it's not really a movie with a cohesive plot. Uh-huh. Like I guess we could say it's a film about uh, uh, suburban America and, and and these two competing people and basically what is like a perfect world. You know, it's, it, this world is sort of like the a mixture of a. Um, Oh, God. Of a John Waters and David Lynch film, it looks yeah. exactly like the little town from Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it has like a Stepford Wives kind of feel to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so like everyone wears braces because they want their teeth to be perfect. Uh-huh. Everything is perfectly bright and colorful because they want everything to be perfect and nothing to interfere with their way of life. Mm-hmm. And there are so many themes of having that perfection getting ruined that would have been fascinating but they don't really go too far with those themes. They just kind of keep echoing the same jokes and motifs within the story where it just it just lost me. And the ending was very anticlimactic. Uh, if I look up the director's names here, uh, you had uh, Jocelyn Dubois. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. And then Dawn uh, Legebe. Le- 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 I don't know, some French shit. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> and basically, you know, it's like this woman has a kid and she has a family and basically that gets taken away from her. Um and then she kind of goes insane. See, I I, I she, actually really mm. like greener grass. Though. Oh, okay. I like greener grass. I and I'm usually not one for like really odd and awkward humor. Yeah. But I was just, I was into this. I don't know why. Like, the bits never got old. Like, the pool water. I want the pool water. See, yeah, that, that was funny the first time they did that. And that was with uh, a guy from SNL who's on there now. What's his name? I don't, I don't know his name. I don't know his name either. Yeah. <laughs> we come in with our research. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, there was a uh, continuing uh, bit about pool water. That was funny the first time where this husband loves drinking pool water, but then they keep repeating it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. I thought it was funny every time. Oh, man. Okay. Okay, but you liked it. What made you like the movie? Well, I think I just, like, really... I really connected with the humor. I... I... God, 
man, greener grass felt like it was so long ago now. Um, no, but I mean, I... The baby bit was so stupid. I, <laughs> oh, where that she takes the baby and she gives and, away her baby. It's, it's, and, and that's the whole plot of the movie. It's about a lady who literally gives her baby to someone else yeah. as a polite gesture. There's, if you're trying no to find any, yeah, to that film. yeah. If you're trying to find anything that makes any logical sense in what we're saying relating to this film, uh-huh. don't. Because nothing makes any sense, and it's intentionally meant that way. Yeah. I guess it's a commentary on suburbia and sort of the absurdity of politeness. That's exactly but, what it is. It's, I mean, it's yeah. a... It's... I hesitate to call it a think piece. <laughs> yeah, it's not that at all. But it does kind of feel like this is, some, that, that, this is something that's kind of like uh, going through the cliches of suburbia and just taking them to like the greatest extreme possible yes. so like the most awkward humor that you've ever seen kids with and, knives and i yes and i <laughs> i was fine with that i was fine with the the trip it will it, because yeah. that's what it is it's a trip and, and you're yeah. you're either down for the bus ride or you're not but um <laughs> yeah but uh but no i i thought all the jokes hit i thought all you know the uh the the oddball characters were fine mm-hmm. um and yeah, I, I yeah, I just I just love the film. Yeah, it, it, to me, it felt like a, an extended sketch that goes on for too long. <laughs> and you know, and the thing is, like, I I watched some of. Uh, I should tell you a little bit about these main actresses who are also the directors of the film. They're um, United Citizens uh, Brigade. Is that it? Oh, I don't know. Up Uptight Citizens Brigade uh, <laughs> alumni. Okay. And that's a big improv group in, like, New York and stuff like that. Like, Matt Walsh came from there, and uh-huh. he's on uh, Veep. And... I did not do my research. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, like, these two have, have made, like, other movies that kind of all have these themes of kind of really weird, privileged white people living in happy little worlds. <laughs> they, you know, uh, they had a theme in another movie of theirs where... I detailed it in my review that they actually, I think they exchanged a child in another short film of theirs too, but it's within the vein of like a funeral or something like that, and uh-huh. it's with a dynastic wealth family. So they have definitely a particular style that they like to stick to, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see that style that is very specifically them. I would just wish for them to kind of go beyond the surface of that style and say something a little more. Because at a certain point, our main protagonist, you know, uh, her husband divorces her, her child leaves her, she she rips off her braces, she starts to go insane, but then they don't really go anywhere with that. She kind of remains complacent and stays in that society. And I'm just watching this and going, you know, I really kind of wanted this to turn into, like... Some, like, Carrie, like... Like, yeah, like, just her just going crazy murdering everyone. Like, yeah. that, like that. that's sort of what I was hoping for, and the whole movie seems to build up to this non-climax, like they were just improvising as they were going along, mm-hmm. and, oh, I could tell it just wasn't for me. But, you know, <laughs> to each his own. Uh, some people, I think, will really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how far it gets with distribution. I mean, they do have that guy from SNL who's in it, which I guess I should look up his name while we're doing that, but... <laughs> I mean, he's, I, I mean, it is... It did, like I said, it did get yeah. two audience awards. I think they're... It did? Right. Oh, no, no, sorry. St. Francis did. No, oh, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, completely forgot we are on Greener Grass. I will say, though, actually, not anything about Greener Grass. Um, it played at um, Sundance initially. Mm-hmm. Um, How was it received at Sundance? There was not... So, like, at Sundance... Um, Beck Bennett, that's his name. Beck Bennett, yes. Yeah. Um, at Sundance... So, Sundance... You've never been. It's like a suburban town, funnily enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's a suburban. It's in Colorado. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh no, no Utah. Utah. Oh no, Jesus, a, yeah, that is a suburban town. It's a, it's in Park City, Utah. Um, What's in Colorado? Just outside of Salt Lake. Okay. Um, and like it's the suburban snow town, ski resort, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and 
to get from theater to theater. None of the theaters are close to each other. Oh, None. Jesus. Like, yeah. the minimum walking distance from one theater to the next is, like, 20 minutes. Like, none of the theaters are close to each other, right? Wow. So, you, and there are shuttle buses. And shuttle bu- the shuttle buses are great because, like, the shuttle buses is basically where you find out about best other films. Because you're, you're at this festival. Everyone's at this festival. So you're, yeah. Everyone's talking about the films they've seen. Um, usually you have to be a little bit quiet because you don't know who's on the bus with you. Yeah. But, like, everyone's talking about the films you've seen, they've seen. And there was not a day on the shuttle bus where someone was not talking about greener grass. Really? Good or bad. Like, it was no They were just between. talking about it. Yeah, they were just talking right. about it. Did you it. see this weird thing? And like, yeah. And, and, what and do you think? Oh, what do toward you think? the end of the festival, when it's, like, kind of catch-up time, and you're trying to, like, you know, get as many... Okay, what are the, where are the films I missed at the beginning of the festival? Like... It, more and more and more people started talking about like, well, if you, you can't leave Sundance without seeing greener grass. Like, you at least have to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know what? Yeah, I think it's a movie where if you see it, you won't. But, excuse me, I just bounced in the camera, in the microphone. Uh, you won't forget it. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess I, I kind of thought it was forgettable, but you know what? If people are talking about it. Uh, maybe it's one you guys should check out. So it's yeah. outlandish, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is definitely completely fucked up. <laughs> 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 like it's not gross out humor. It's just bizarre. Yeah, you know uh, the best way I can put it is it's it's a John Waters film. Mm-hmm. You know, without sort of the crassness of a John Waters film in a way. Yeah, but. Yeah, <laughs> um, but actually, but uh, one, but the next movie I saw, I thought was absolutely stunning was the Nightingale, which oh, the Nightingale, yeah, that movie was amazing. Yeah, and it's about what like an eighteen twenty five Tasmania, I believe, mm-hmm. and they're basically weeding out the indigenous people there, and there's this uh, person who is a convict. Who basically they had a lot of convicts back then. A lot of people don't know the history between, behind sort of Tasmania and what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with, basically, with the I guess ethnic cleansing of that culture. I'm saying this in quotation marks um, <laughs> for those who you know are listening to this. Um, and basically, they would have these people work for the European settlers. At this time period, and one of the and this is through the British's perspective with these settlers, where uh, the main British officer uh, takes this young woman uh, who's basically she has to do whatever she can for him. You know, she's like a slave without chains, and he rapes this woman. She kills her baby and her husband in front of her. And then she goes out for vengeance to try to get this guy. And shockingly, this movie is not a vengeance story. (laughs) You would think it would be, but I think because this movie is directed by Jennifer Kent, and because it's directed by a woman, a lot of the violence in the film, a lot of the, the rape scenes, the murder scenes, they're not handled in an exploitative manner. Where I think of a man directed it, it could have gone that mm-hmm. direction. Um, it's sort of a commentary on the world that we have today, you know, where women are being told to shut up, and there, and with the sort of extermination of anyone who was black down there, it's basically a reflection of the racism that we have in America today. It's kind of like how we take everyone who's a uh, of Latin descent and shove them in a cage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all reflective of today. You know, except you know, you know, the red coats are like the red hats that people are wearing these days. So there, there are certain parallels to it. And one thing that I really loved about this movie is the girl that um, let's see, actress's name Ashley Aisling. Aisling, yeah, she- uh, Franciosi. Yeah, Aisling Franciosi. Uh, uh, she, 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 I guess she was actually in Game of Thrones. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she played. I think one of the Starks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she, she plays just a phenomenal role mm-hmm. in this. And the person she brings along with her is, you know, one of the, uh, uh, you know, one of the black people there that basically 
gets no rice. And what you do is you understand this guy's culture in a movie. Like most movies, you see people's cultures, but you just see them. Here you actually understand them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Aisling doesn't play like a white savior in the film. It's Billy, the black guy she brings along there, who's the person that lets you see things from a fresh perspective, who's the one who's saving Aisling. And it's just a phenomenal thing. I'd love love to hear what you think about it. (laughs) I just think it's brutal and visceral. Um, I know at Sundance it surprised a lot of people. I think it was the opening night film um, playing opposite uh, Native Son. Yeah. And Sundance usually isn't known for, like, it's visceral, being visceral at all or, or being confrontational, but, like, mm. this was. So it threw a lot of people for a loop, Except, especially since if you've seen The Babadook, this is completely different from The Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. The Babadook is like, a, is like your typical PG-13 sort of yeah. freaky horror film, you know? And um, there are a lot of rape scenes, and, like, um, yeah. if you've been unfortunate enough to have that kind of have any of that happen to you, it, it, it can be very triggering. Um, however, I do think that, like, Jennifer Kent handles it as lightly as she possibly can. Yeah. Um, I think she's, the the thing that she's very good at focusing on are, in, in many of the rape scenes, it's it's the reaction shot. It's the overhead shot of, like, seeing the, the woman's face as it's happening. Yeah. Um, so, like, you get, you get the violence without... The, the the violence thrown in front of you, yeah. Um, so the, the violence is more off screen than anything else. Um, but it's not a white savior film at all. Um, no. And I I do think it Jennifer Kent very much hits on a lot of um, themes within slavery within um, within black culture, um, mm. in a very surprising way actually. Um, like. Just the the importance of water in black, especially for for the 1800s in black culture. Even though I'm, I'm talking about this from from an Americanized perspective, yes. um, obviously, um, and and not from um, well, Australian is, perspective. Australian, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but I I do think she does transfer some of those uh, some of that imagery into this. Um, yeah. And the, the acting performances are just wonderful. Like you know, Aisling is fantastic. The, the, uh, the guy who plays the the captain, um, <laughs> Sam Claflin. There we go. Hawkins. He plays Hawkins. Oh my God! If there is a person, there's there's not been a villain in a while. That's just as evil, just, frothing just at the mouth. Evil, fucking <laughs> piece of shit. Yeah. There's like you. There's like no. There's no sympathy. There's zero. Like some some films even. Well, I mean, some films, most films will try to find some kind of humanistic angle from to, to judge, like, the villain, or at least view the villain from. Jennifer Kent has having none of that. This guy's a piece of shit rapist, and that's it. Yeah. Well, there, there's there's a hint of a hu- human perspective from him, but it's very subtle, which is whenever there was the baby crying or there was a child crying in the film, he's yelling emphatically for it to shut up. As if there's something from his past where maybe he oh, was guess, yeah. maybe a, a victim of domestic abuse or something of that nature. But it's subtle enough where that's all we need from it. Yeah. We don't need more. We don't need like a whole weavy backstory. Mm-hmm. We just get something happen in this guy that turn him into this monster that he is today. Mm-hmm. But yes, the the the, the uh, cast in this film is amazing. Um, Ace, what well, fucking what's her name? <laughs> Aisley Francione, yeah. yeah. Um, she's stunning. I mean, she has to project a lot of heavy emotions, you know, from being raped to having to be extremely angry to remorseful to shocked. Her posture she, throughout the film is also really fantastic. Like it's just this very hunched, tense posture. So she yeah. does. A, a lot of her, a lot of the performance comes in in the physicality of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it was also through her eyes, mm-hmm. which are extremely expressive. Um, and then, I mean, what? Who played Billy? Oh, okay. I'm not gonna get this guy's name right, but he never acted anything before. His name was uh, Bekali Genambar. I think you got it pretty close. Mm-hmm. They're pretty spot on, actually. Yeah, so. <laughs> 
Um, he 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 did a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, as someone who's never acted before, he's kind of this person who is he knows everything that's going on. He knows all the bullshit, and he's the one who has to point Ainsling in the right direction. And he kind of commands the screen for the moments that he has to have. And the greatest thing about this film is it takes you in directions you don't see it going. Mm -hmm. You know, you think, okay, well, Aisling is going to get her revenge on Hawkins for, you know, doing what he did to her. Well, she kind of gets her revenge, but then it takes another turn where she doesn't want to get her revenge. Mm -hmm. But then Billy goes out to try to get revenge in a way. And we, we can't really go that much more into it without spoiling Why, the yeah, film. Yeah. But it's a, it's a film where you don't know when it's going to end, you don't know how it's going to end, and you don't really want it to end. Because it's, and on, it's a lengthy film, I think, right? It's long, but it, you know, it, doesn't, it feels long, but not in a bad way. It feels like it, it's one of those movies where you're just tense the whole way through. Yeah, it feels long because it's, you're just being all this stuff's being thrown into your face. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, God, well, this is too much. Like, this is a lot for a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. And also, it's filmed on a 4 by 3 ratio, so to capture yeah. the time, mm-hmm. you know, which I didn't notice because of the way they close the curtains in the music box. I couldn't tell if it was 4 by 3 or not until I yeah. watched the trailer. I guess that was to sort of capture the the time in which the movie takes place. And to let you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know beyond that, <laughs> but it was interesting. Um, after the Nightingale, I think I saw the Farewell, which uh, it's just a stunning film. Yeah, um, it's a movie that it's it's. Uh, uh, this is I don't say this lightly, but this is a film. And I was talking with Brian Tellerico about this, who's like uh, one of the main editors at RogerEber.com, and he he said that this is you know we both said at the same time. Without hesitation, this would be a movie that Roger would be proud of. Yeah. Because he, he, you know, everyone has their taste in movies. And Roger loved movies that were about other cultures. Yeah. That, there goes a motorcycle gang. (laughs) uh, uh, That's about other cultures, about other people from different backgrounds, different genders, different races that you can empathize with and understand and be a part of. And this movie, you feel like you're a part of this family. Mm-hmm. And this movie's sort of like a love letter to Yosahiro Iotsu and kind of has the free-spirited documentary-esque mind of Agnes Varda. Yes. You know, where you're taken into the life of this family who they find out that their grandmother, or Nai-Nai, as they call it, is dying. Um, terminal illness. But they don't want to tell her, so they stage this early wedding to basically uh, have everyone say their goodbyes to her without her knowing. And the real twist in this movie, not plot-wise, but in terms of making it, is that the one who plays the dying woman, Nai-Nai, is actually a dying woman named Nai-Nai who does not know the pretenses of the actual film that takes place. And it's not a documentary. It's a narrative film. But it... But, yeah, but we don't know if it is... But it feels like a documentary, doesn't it? Yeah, wait, wait, sorry, wait. Re-explain that again. Because I think I might have... Because I I know the sister of Nai-Nai is a real-life... Like, not real-life, but, like, the real-life person is playing her. Yes. Nai-Nai is the real-life person. No, no, Nai-Nai's not. She's not? No, 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 Nai-Nai's not. Nine-Nine's sister is the real-life person. Oh. I gotta change this shit in my review. <laughs> like, right now. Nine-Nine is, uh... Is, uh... I think Lulu Wong said that she's a Korean soap actress. That they, like, they, she had to beg to get into the film. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly. I thought she, I thought she said that was actually her. No, and no. And that she's I, still alive six years on. Yeah, well, she is still alive six years yeah. on, which she just, we just messed up the, <laughs> the ending. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we but, <yeah>. did. <laughs> I think, uh, I think the, the, um. See, I thought the whole way through that was the, the actual person. No, 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 no. Um, but, 
What, anyways, getting back on track, what, what, what makes it work is they mix real people with actors. So you're watching a slice of life, a celebration of life. And you, no matter what background you come from, no matter what family that you're in, you feel like that you're part of that family when you're watching that film. Because we all have that strange uncle. We all have that um, neurotic uh, nephew. We all have these family members, no matter what language they speak, and we connect to this family. And it was just a stunning film. There wasn't a dry eye in the house by the end of the picture. Like, everyone was crying. I remember there was a picture from the festival where I, I think you had, like, a tissue in front of you, and I turned to Don next to me, and I'm like, what do you think of the film? And he's like... <laughs> <laughs> Don's a crier. Don yeah. is a crier for sure. Um... It was weird. I thought I was going to cry, and then I didn't. But I was like, wow, that was effective. I don't know. <laughs> no, I... I um... I cried. I yeah. cried both times I saw it. I saw it at Sundance, and it was it was my second favorite film of Sundance. Yeah. Um, I I just thought like when when people were talking about like that there wasn't a um. There there wasn't like a Manchester by the Sea or something like that. I just thought like no, that's you, that's completely wrong. <laughs> like, I think I think Is there was. Manchester by the how does that compare to Manchester by the Sea? What's well, in terms of quality? <laughs> Uh, yeah, there wasn't that like breakout film. There was like mm. you know talking about, but like I, no, I um, don't agree with that. I don't it's, agree with that either. It's a mixture. It was originally stemmed from a short uh, story from This American Life, and it feels like a segment from This American Life, but turned into a wonderful film. Yeah, you know where yeah. this this movie is a celebration of life. Yeah, this it is based on the, the, This family. American Life. I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, yeah. I listened to the uh, the segment from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, and I think um, th okay. So like, there are very few films that make you hungrier than The Farewell. <laughs> oh my god, the <laughs> amount of Chinese food in it is. <laughs> I still watch. I still did not get Chinese food since I've seen that movie. You gotta get the meat pies. Yeah, you gotta. Um, no, but the the. I think Lulu Wong just completely captures what it means to be ethnically Chinese, like the 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 culture where you know revolving around food, and like the 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 it's not a chicken game, but like it's the bird game that they play. At yeah, the, wedding. The, the drinking bird game. Yeah, everyone like, would uh, that you'd have to pretend to be a bird when they go to you, and if and if you and if you stall it all, you gotta take a shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I want to try that. I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, but and and then also like Aquafina is just fantastic in this film. Like yes. she really is. Like I liked her in Crazy Rich Asians, um, and I was wondering like, oh, I wonder if this is gonna be like. I think she was also in Ocean's Eight as well. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, she's like she's kind of kind of a niche though. Let's, let's see. I wonder if she could do anything else. And then I saw the farewell. I was like, holy god, she could. Wow, this woman is going to be a star. Like, she's already yeah. a star, but she's really going to be a star. She, she's really breaking through. Did that... I, I know um, the Nightingale's coming out in August. I don't know if... Um, I want to say the Farewell's July. Farewell's coming. Okay. I feel like it's July. That's I don't, great. Double -check if it that. is coming out in July, you guys should really check that film out. Yeah, July 12th. Go see it with your family. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, no, go see it with your family. Cry. It's... <laughs> You're gonna cry. Time. You're gonna cry. Like I'm not, I'm not a crier, and like I cried during that film. I was, and I cried less the second time because I, I knew it was coming. But yeah. I still cried. But at South by, I mean, at Sundance, I bawled like a baby. Like, <laughs> oh man. But what was it that 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 got you? Like, was it the ending scene? Yeah, it was. You know, it was the ending scene. I'm trying to like, I'm still trying to place like where she's. What the influence is, because I know I've seen that, that kind of like, tr like that away tracking shot before, you yeah. know, in a film. And I'm trying to figure out what hit it, but like, really, it's just Nine Eye. The woman who plays Nine Eye is just so fantastic. I think she's a low key, like. I really she thought that was Nine Eye. Now, I, now I feel so dumb. I literally have to go back in my review and well, so take out <laughs> Nine Eye, the actual yeah. Nine Eye. Still doesn't know that she has cancer. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, so that would have been odd said. if she did the film. <laughs> then she would have found out. She well, had she cancer. never, she never showed her the film either. Uh, really, I feel like Lulu Wong said that she never showed 
Nine Nine the movie. I wonder. I don't think I've got this wrong. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll research this again. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I just like misheard it. But I, I feel like um, the woman who plays Nine Nine is is a. No, no, no. That part you're right about. But I think she did say though. Lulu Wong said she never showed this. No, no. Movie she's never. Showed, she, she's never showed this on the Nine Nine. Yeah. That is correct. Um, I think one of the cutest things was um, at Sundance. Uh, Lulu Wong was there, obviously, and she was doing the Q and A. And one of the fan questions was like, "Well, Nana hasn't seen the film. Have have your parents seen the film?" And like, she was like, "Oh, well, my parents are here in the audience." Yeah. And she's like, "Well, I don't know. What do they think?" You know. And then like, you could hear her dad in the background go, "Very good." Which I think, like, my perception of that film will always be like colored by that moment because it was just like such a feel-good moment yeah. and a really. In a feel-good film, honestly. Yeah. Um, and and just also, I think the great thing about the farewell um, is that not only I think it it very well it it, it like um, it kind of threads through the differences between Eastern and Western culture, yeah. and threads through the generational differences as well. Yeah. Um, it's almost like in terms of actually, it's almost when you think about like. The um, the the whether they should tell Nai about this. It's like the the old old generation is like no, not at all. Yeah. The the, the, the middle generation is like well maybe we shouldn't. The young generation is like, like, yes, like yes, tell yes, her. Yeah, tell her. It's it's just almost like a, and it a challenges strata. you. Like should should they tell her? Like I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Well, then we, we, I, I, I do. I, I think my favorite thing about one of my favorite things about that film is yeah. when they explain when they say that they're not going to tell her. I love looking at the audience I'm sitting in and seeing their reactions. You can mm. tell how Americanized the audience is. Yeah. And but like by the end, when they explain, when they really explain the philosophy behind it, you, you, uh, the idea of sharing the load of grief so that way the person who's dying doesn't actually experienced that grief in their last few days yeah like actually like very much philosophically makes sense oh yeah in many ways yeah i mean i thought it made perfect sense when they were explaining in the beginning like you know if i'm dying i don't want to know yeah you know i'd rather just die you yeah. know and you know you can share it or you fucking think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh it does make sense though it did make sense to me and that that was the beauty about the film you can understand another culture rather than, mm-hmm. than judge it or be be directly told what that culture does you question it as they question it and you'll that you'll think of all the times you spent with your family and that you can still spend with your family after you see the movie and you you're thinking, <laughs> but yes uh coming out hopefully in july i think in limited theaters the farewell with uh the rising star aquafina i think um <laughs> But then, uh, I guess to get, uh, this, this is a tough one to talk about here. Uh, I, I, I had trouble writing the review to it, uh, which was Loose, which, ooh, uh, please, uh, you can start with Loose. Please, please start, uh, because I. Loose? Okay, so Loose begin. is. <laughs> God, sometimes I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Loose, okay, I will say this. So, The Farewell was my second favorite film of Sundance. Yeah. Loose was my favorite. It mm-hmm. was even close. Like, Loose. Um, I think I bragged about this film just, just about everyone I met. Yeah. I was there at the premiere. I did not know what I was going to see. I did not know I was going to see Octavius, the best performance of Octavia Spencer's career. Oh, yeah. I didn't oh, know I would see yeah. a return for, to form for Naomi Watts. Calvin <laughs> like Harrison Jr. delivering the best performance of his career. It's on, an acting powerhouse. Yeah, it's based Tim on Roth a play, so it should be. You know? Yeah, like it's just it, Julius Ona directs it. And mm-hmm. so basically it opens i guess i guess it's supposed to be a suburban town i guess in some ways it's a um, town in virginia yeah so yeah. like it, it's it's opens in a town and loose is this now teenage kid who's uh a senior in high school who's about to go on to college he's like this he is the model student yeah this guy top uh, athlete top athlete like, straight a student perfect grades yeah amazing speaker you know a great oration um and he but however he didn't, he was not born in America. He was born in a war-torn land, and he was adopted by two white parents, played by Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. Oh, I didn't know he came from a war. That's true. Yes, yeah. he was come, did come from a war. Yeah. Um, and, um, and 
However, events start to transpire that make you question Luce's uh, uh, persona. His motivations, yeah. his, uh, his persona, like his actions. Like, is he really this perfect person that we mm-hmm. all think he is? You know? And um, this, is, this is like a very good, we need to talk about Kevin. Yes. You know, where Kevin yeah. isn't just straight up evil <laughs> on a cartoonish level. Yeah. You know, this is a much more complicated think piece of a movie of that. Octavia Spencer plays his teacher, Miss mm-hmm. Wilson, who is w- the main person who is starting to see through what might, what she thinks might be a facade from Luce. Yeah. Um, and then the whole film really just dives into around a, a, a an hour and a half of, of mixed signals, confused signals, um, ulterior motives. Uh, it yeah. explores rape culture, yeah. uh, tokenism, um, mental health as well. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most like affecting scenes is Miss Wilson has a, uh, I don't know the actress who plays her, but like I think she has maybe the best scene in the entire film. Miss Wilson? Um, you mean Octavia Spencer? No, it's not the, who, the <laughs> one who plays uh, uh, Miss Wilson's sister. Oh, yeah. Tis, yeah. Yes. Let me, I, yeah, I think she has the it. most affecting Marcia scene. Marsha Stephanie Blake. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, she, she has the most affecting scene in the entire film. Yeah, her film. mental breakdown. Yes, it's yeah. just utterly fantastic. Um, and um, it, it really it really is an, an acting powerhouse. It is... It asks very brutal questions, very honest and straight questions. Yeah. And it, it puts the viewer in the driver's seat in terms of um, questioning their motives and questioning their own bias, our own biases. It does make biases. you question if you're prejudiced <laughs> or not, yes. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're talking about tokenism. Yeah. You know, the parents are, they do say at a certain point, why did we really adopt loose? Mm-hmm. And it's really because they wanted a little Obama on their house. They wanted <laughs> a mantelpiece, you know. Mm-hmm. They wanted their. They wanted to say, "Hey, look how great we are. Mm-hmm. We're in this white community. We adopted this black kid from a war zone, and look how amazing he is now. Shower us with praise." And it's not. Just, I mean, and like it, uh, the interesting thing about it is, it doesn't just stop at tokenism. It also yeah. goes to the the exceptional Negro trope, which mm. is you know the that there the there is this one person who quote unquote transcends their race. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it, it's, it is a very uncomfortable watch and there's, there's, I think the thing I, I, there, uh, there's so many things I love about this film, but I, I very much believe that it, this is kind of one of these films that, you know, if you've been watching stuff like if Beale Street could talk or Moonlight or yeah. Widows or something, whatever, you know, you've been wondering like, what's this diversity thing? You know, what is it building toward? It's building toward this, like it's mm. building toward these type of narratives. Mm. Um, and the film has it, it, it mixes aspects of, of horror, you know, the horror genre in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, there's and, horrifying moments. Yes, yeah. and and the score is fantastic too. The score I love fantastic. the score. Yeah. Um, Julius Ona just just kills in this film, and um, it uh, it's going to end up being on I think just on everyone's top twenty list, top, end of the year top. This, 20, this top movie 10 better list. make it big. <laughs> like yeah. it better get a lot because I haven't seen a lot in terms of distribution for it. It's with yeah. Niana. Okay, good. Which is kind of scary, but it's with... Oh, okay. <laughs> bad, bad. Because ne- Neon doesn't do press screenings. Really? They don't do press screenings very often, which is... Um, a lot of their films kind of get stuck in the mud. The, but I will say the last time they had yeah. a film, I think, this good with this much star power was I, Tanya, and they pushed that one. So I think they yeah, will push this yeah. one. Um, and I, I do think if, if, if Neon plays their cards right... Octavia Spencer should waltz into an Academy Award nomination. Yeah, like she should really march in there because, you know, she's always kind of plays everyone's, you know, designated black friend in a movie. Yeah. And here she is not that. She is like, if you've ever had that teacher that you thought didn't like you <laughs> and had something against you, she perfectly embodies that. Mm-hmm. And you question everyone's motives in this movie because mm-hmm. everyone's right. Nobody's wrong, but mm-hmm. you are forced to pick a side. Like this movie has said multiple times, like you're white, you're not going to understand. And you're just like, shit, you're right. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. Yeah. And, and there's, there are like, there's this, I think the, the scene that makes this film for me is toward the end, but there's one yeah. scene where 
Miss Wilson and and um, Luce finally confront each other and are just honest, like brutally honest with each other, and they yeah. they have a very black conversation that usually doesn't happen in front of white eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, that, so that's what goes down. Okay, <laughs> like, it's a it's a very it's it's a very like you know the deal, you know what this world is like. You know the 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 deck that's stacked against you. As, yeah. as, as, as America is not on your side. Yeah, they want to see you get knocked off your pedestal. You know they want to Tiger Woods your ass. You know <laughs> that's that's what we want to see happen to you. Hey, he's kind of like Tiger Woods. That's the great thing yeah. about him. <laughs> <laughs> it really about is. He is. It's like he's an athlete. He, you know, he's well spoken. You know, kind of nerdy. You know, and then they're just gonna be like, "Oh yeah," but this guy wrote this paper about like hurting people. You know, what what was that scene where he's talking to the other black student, but he was like a darker black, and he's like, "Yeah." They, why, 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 why would you have me and not you in this position? You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, that's true. Well, it's, man. it's like clearly like, you know, and, and I think also the interesting thing is that like in film you have like this, this very ugly cliche of, of colorism where we're yeah. like the light character, the lighter black character plays the good guy and the darker black character plays the bad guy. And they're yeah. very much playing off of that. Yeah. They're very much jumping off that, 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 that cliche in this and, and really turning it on its head. And um, the, 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 I think the great, the interesting part about this film and the, the main crux of, of the conversation between Miss Wilson and Luce toward the end is you won't get you do not get second chances as a black person and I yeah. almost think it's it's almost like not ironic but coincidental that like you know I think about like Julius Ona yeah. who had the previous film he made before this was Cloverfield Paradox <laughs> yes it, it was <laughs> <laughs> and typically you know when black and female directors strike out on a film you don't see them get the another chance for a few years and yeah. if they get another chance and if it, it feels almost like you know and, and, and julius owner had written and, and filmed most of this before he you know this was a stage play that was yeah. written in the obama era yeah he had adapted and now this, yeah. that it's in the trump era it mm -hmm. takes a whole different perspective yeah it feels like during the obama era the play was like a cautionary tale yeah about our hidden racism jc lee i believe is the, is the uh playwright yeah. yeah and now with the trump era this is a reflection of this is where it went wrong mm -hmm. and now we're here yeah so it it very much is like if you like I say if you're if you're wondering like where where's all this diversity stuff that people keep talking about where's it going to this yeah. is where it's going to this yeah. is it this is the quintessential film I mean the the, the the one of the most stunning roles like as you said was uh, Miss Wilson's sister Rosemary yeah because she she was kind of the she was the embodiment of the black negative stereotype mm -hmm. you know she was a former crack addict she was crazy mm -hmm. you know she was an absolute you know she's ripping her clothes off in front of people and in a public place and screaming you know and all of that's being reflected back on harriet who i'm gonna guess is the only black teacher in that school yeah probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> the principal is a scene stealer i think <laughs> yeah the principal's just you know he, he's he's trying to keep everything common in the middle but you know he's he's like no sorry your sister you're this racist thing i'm thinking that no one else can say out loud in this film you know mm -hmm. but they're all thinking that shit yeah yeah but yeah it's ooh, it's a, it's a movie where luckily we d didn't like talk about this film without getting into a fight or anything but <laughs> no, it's a movie that i i talked to yeah. everyone about i like yeah. I, uh, there was like a night, I can't remember what film, I think we were about to see Velvet Buzzsaw at yeah. Sundance, and Brian was asking, oh, what's your favorite so far? I was like, oh, Loose. It's like, yeah. I was talking to, I was like, you got, yeah, I, was, I was thinking, I, I didn't tell him, I was thinking in my head, like, you have to get this for Chicago Critics Film Festival, and I was glad they got it. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to David Elric about it, he, he, I was like, you gotta see this film. Um, I, I'm pretty sure, like, I told everyone at Sundance to see this film at some point. Yeah. And I, I don't usually, like, stand a film. I don't usually the banner waiver for films. I, I, sometimes I, I don't think, I, sometimes I think some critics go too far in that sense. Um, but, like, I just, I can't help myself with this one. This one's just so damn good. <sighs> it's, it's a movie that you don't, you know what, and, and although it's based on a play, it doesn't feel like a play. It kind of nah, goes yeah. off of Hitchcock's old quote about 
there was a bomb under the table and the detention isn't the explosion, but when it's going to go off. Mm-hmm. And this whole movie plays like a, a tense thriller, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just waiting for that explosion. And it does come, you know, mm-hmm. just fireworks here and there, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it comes in a, in a very brutally honest discussion between, uh, uh, between mm-hmm. Octavia Spencer and, and loose. This for this, I I don't envy anyone who did a capsule review because if you <laughs> you can't capsule review, you can't go into the film without talking about the plot. And Andrea yeah. had to do a capsule review for it because because um, it's embargoed, I think. Um, yeah. And I did not do a capsule review when I saw it at yeah, Sundance. Did I. I specifically wrote it that night because I knew if it got acquired, I would have to do a capsule review. And I released my review, the full review, the day before I got acquired from Neon. Oh my God! <laughs> so I just because I couldn't done it. You can't do that in a capsule. You cannot do that film in a capsule. This it's movie, insane. yeah, this movie you can't you can't summarize. <laughs> but one movie you can get in a capsule review <laughs> was the closing night film, which is Light from Light, which I I literally spoiled the ending of the movie in my review. I write spoiler in all caps about it. Uh-huh. It's literally a movie leading up to a uh, thing moving. <laughs> That's a whole film. That's a whole film. Now, here's the thing. Uh, we're, uh, so Light from Light is another paranormal tale. So if you've seen David Lowry's A Ghost Story, who executive produces this film, this is like this is like the Aldi's version of a ghost story. <laughs> and like it is it's just it's just fucking two hours of people staring at inanimate objects, and I get it. I get the slow moving pace. Okay? Where the slow moving pace worked with the ghost story is that you see things through Casey Affleck's eyes. You see it through his perspective. You see how his world is changing and crumbling in front of him. How his wife is going through grief. How that house is changing. And it goes places. It goes all the way to like the fucking like fourteen hundreds yeah. or something. <laughs> and then it goes to like the future. And then he falls yeah. out that like you see things from a ghost perspective and you truly feel like you are a ghost witnessing time slowly fall apart in front of you and then reverse itself and it was fascinating this film tries to deal with this uh, with how stagnant death is with how still everything is how you feel lost and i get it but holy fuck after five minutes it lost its luster to me and it was just preachy and boring, and every character was written through the same angle, where all they do is just talk in the same exact, like, depressed tone about life. And yes, we get it. You know, you had some shit that you didn't say with your wife that you wish you said. And it's too bad because I love, I absolutely, I absolutely love um, uh, Jim Gaffigan. And everyone was so nice in that film, but doesn't it suck when, like, people are so nice that were involved in a film that you really just didn't think was good? And, like, after the film, I had to, like, say nice things about it because I couldn't go around and say what I really thought. Jim Gaffigan was at the uh, at the after party. Yeah, and he was, he was so nice, too. <laughs> he was. He was so nice. I'm, I, but I felt bad because I'm like, yeah, but you and everyone in that movie was so fucking boring. And that whole movie was boring. And, like, not the good boring. Like, look, you could be Tarkovsky boring and still be effective. But this movie was just, like, it didn't know where to go, so it just repeats the same motifs, the same themes. You know, it's supposed to feel still like death, but damn, man, this is like an episode of Ghost Adventures without the music. So, (sighs) that's my rant on it. Absolutely. Loved light from light. Yeah, no, I, and I would like to know. I, I'm not gonna say anyone's objectively wrong. We're not gonna have like. A, we're not gonna say. But have you're a, wrong. Yeah, we're not gonna have a Siskel and Ebert like yellowthon. You know. I, you know what? I absolutely loved light from light. I loved the vulnerability of it. I really, mm. I really, really do. I, and maybe I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, Maybe it affected me because, because uh, like, four years ago, my my dad passed away. Yeah. And like, I feel like now I, I'm more affected by films that like are about death in some way. Yeah. But I don't, this, I I don't think this film is necessarily about death. I think it's just about living. Yeah. You know, and it's I think it's the vulnerability hmm. surrounded by living, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the 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 main thrust of the film is whether ghosts exist or not 
and whether that answer matters or not. Yeah. You know, and the the easy answer that the film could provide is yes, they exist, right? Yeah. And yet, it's a that might trigger. be the hardest. Yeah. That might be the hardest answer because it's because I'm I'm an atheist. So it's yeah. very easy to be a cynical atheist, yeah. right? I'm agnostic. Yeah. <laughs> but if if I got sheer proof of an afterlife, yeah, I would have to completely and utterly rethink my entire like value system. Yeah, you know, I would have to completely I rethink everything. And I think that is just as scary and just as difficult as like the idea of being permanently alone in death and waiting for your loved one to join you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I yeah. think I think both represent both represent two types of existential crisis. You could call like a ghost being yeah. a ghost an existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I very much I I was down for for the the, the vulnerability of, of the and the sensitivity of the entire film and and Jim Gaffigan is just so interesting is he had the um, best performance in the movie. I will say that. I loved his. I mean, talking about yeah. posture, you know, talking about um, and the Nightingale posture. Like um, Jim Gaffigan has great. Like, his whole lower face is just this very tight, like lock. Very beardy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can see the grief. You can see. You can see the grief, and his, his mouth movements are very closed. He yeah. doesn't open his mouth very wide or anything like that. Uh, it's, um, He's he's been doing some really good character work, and I would include this with it. Um, yeah, I just, I yeah, I I love the whole the it, uh, the the whole idea of the vulnerability of just living, right? And yeah. we see that we we see that with with her, right? Where she the stagnation, the stillness of life. Yeah, where she doesn't yeah. want to. She she's she's cynical. She doesn't want to love anymore, right? Yeah. And then she's made her son the same cynical person. You know where oh, yeah. he has I hated a, that character. A, a potential relationship. <laughs> he has a potential yeah. relationship, but he doesn't want to get into it because he he's afraid of being hurt. Yeah, he's afraid of being hurt or hurting someone. Because um, he thinks like, well, eventually, you know, I'm gonna get married anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's and all these people have been in some way burned or afraid of being burned of making themselves available to someone else's affection. Yeah. And the the worry that that affection will be taken away from them whether by life, whether by death, or whether just by sheer happenstance. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, just, I, I very much ended up loving life from li- light from light. Yeah. And um, I, I loved it the more, the, the, when I first, when the, I, I'm telling you when the lights first came up in the music box, if you'd talked to me, I would've been like two out of four. And then yeah. I, was, I was sitting by Andrea Thompson. We were talking about it. And I was like, the more we talked about it, I was like, okay, 2.5 out of 4. Okay, now 3 out of 4. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> like, okay. So it was one of those films, like, the more I talked to it, the more I thought about it, the, the more I liked about it. Um, yeah. And it, it, I, uh, I think uh, uh, Eric, Eric Childress, said that, like, the film, like, sticks its landing, and it very much does stick its landing on what, what it's trying to do. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. Okay, (laughs) I mean, just just for me, I felt like it's this message of trying to live life when there doesn't feel there doesn't feel like there's much to live for. Yeah, was a little too drawn out, a little too preachy. Where I just felt like, yes, I get it, you know, and I've had tremendous losses in my life, and it Mm -hmm. didn't really connect me that much to you know the losses that i've had but i i mean that but that was just me just for me it didn't work but for other people it will work and that's that's totally fine everyone <laughs> sees a different movie and that that's the beauty of it uh i think that's like all the movies we had uh covered oh there was monos which i don't remember much of i i saw it too late <laughs> oh i love monos was yeah. My my top five of Sundance, which was my top wow. five of Sundance, was Monos, Loose, The Farewell, Yeah, This Is Not Berlin, and Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, and then just outside of that top five, if I'd seen it at Sundance, would have been The Nightingale at Six. Those would have yeah. been like my six. Like holy fuck, like these. So when people were talking about like there wasn't a film that had that quality of Sundance, what about like. I, I I think you just need to open up your cultural horizons. It doesn't surprise me that most of the films that were missed 
were were the 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 black Asian films. Oh, what a surprise! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I think but, the more uh, I think about Monos, the more I like it. Yeah, I think when I saw it, I was just too tired, too drunk, and it, it is a film you have to be. <laughs> It, it is a. It was a film. I saw it already on a Sundance. It woke me up a little bit. I was like, "Whoa!" Was I saw it at the? It was a midnight. I don't know why they put that film at midnight, but it was a midnight. Yeah. I want to say, uh, at the Egyptian, which is like a very historic, uh, yes. historic theater at uh, in, in Sundance. Mm-hmm. Um, great movie theater to watch a film at. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. With with Monos, I had to think more about it before I could talk about it because I don't. I didn't really conjure any thoughts on it. For sure. That would be uh, <laughs> that would be concise enough, but no, uh, that that is it for Chicago Critics Film Festival. Uh, if you were to choose your favorite film of the festival, what what would you choose? What would you say the one? That- well, yeah. So the films, I put this in two different categories. Yeah. The films that I saw at Sundance, including, um, it would be loose. Yeah. But if I subtracted the stuff that I saw before the festival, stuff that I was like, yo, I haven't seen any of this. This is new for me. It yeah. would be The Nightingale. The Nightingale for me was the best. Yeah, one. yeah. I think I have to agree with you. I think it might have been. I mean, it's a tie between Nightingale and Loose. Yeah. No, actually, it's a tie between Nightingale, Loose, and uh, Farewell. Yeah. But I'd have to say uh, if the one that's going to leave the most lasting impact. Ooh. God, because Loose is so fucking good. I'd have to... I think Loose is the most watchable one. Yeah. That you could easily watch again. But Nightingale is probably the most effective and the most Oh, really? Yeah. Or the three? I thought I think The Farewell is the most rewatchable. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe. Oh, it's such I mean, a crowd pleaser. Sl- yeah, it's a crowd pleaser. It's kind of slow, you know? <laughs> um, whereas, like, Loose, I feel like... Loose, Loose is, is like, like one of those films like thriller that I can just watch again and again. I think it's such a. I think yeah. there are certain films that are great for. Yeah. This is one way that I thought when I was this age. Yeah. Maybe I might think a different way at this age. It's one of those films. Yeah. I think it's great to come back to probably every couple years or so. Yeah, I think yeah. it'll stand the test of time. I oh. think really maybe maybe more than Nightingale. Like I think Nightingale. I I would. It's amazing. It's relevant. But I feel like it, it just won't last for as many years. I think it's a great well. film within her filmography. Yeah, and the, and yeah. that's and that's kind of it. It's a good um, portfolio filler. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to call it filler, but <laughs> okay, yeah, not a filler. That was Light from Light. That movie was a whole lot of filler. But uh, but I I think it's it's a great addition to like someone's filmography yeah. before they make like their seminal work. You know. Yeah. Because I don't think I I. And this is this says a lot about uh, uh, Jennifer Kent. I don't think the Nightingale and the Babadook is the best she could do. I think she'd do a lot better. Mm. And that says a lot because wow. I thought those films are great. <laughs> yeah, I, I Babadook was okay. I thought it was a little too silly with the title of the film. Like you saying Babadook, like couldn't you yeah. call like name? Every time they're saying it, I'm just fucking laughing. All right, well, thank you a lot, Robert, for coming on. Thanks for having Again, me. Yeah. Check out his reviews at 812filmreviews.com. This is Mike Crawley. You can check out my film reviews at ypareviews.com. The YPA, in case you're wondering, stands for You'll Probably Agree. And hopefully you'll probably agree with us. And if you don't, well, just be nice and tell us why you don't. Instead of, you know, saying I look like Jake Lloyd. Or that I look hammered on my show. (laughs) Fucking assholes. No, I'm just kidding. I love you all. And uh, thank you so much. And goodbye.